4: Pitches being
3: me. Amy Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global.
4: What's desperately horny my Saddam Hussein's best friend I'm Robert Evans host of behind the bastards the only podcast whose host owns two kittens named Saddam Hussein and Saddam Hussein's best friend and due to a severe veterinarian shortage in northern Oregon. Uh, still can't get them spayed and neutered for another nine days, and Saddam Hussein's best friend is in heat and desperately trying to fuck her brother. This has been an update why, for all why of you. Why did you
0: have to, like, maybe she didn't Saddam want heads. you to disclose that information. Now you're just... Uh,
4: she has been disclosing that she wants to fuck to literally every living creature mm-hmm. that gets near her. Yeah. Uh, if she, she had is, a microphone, she, she'd be saying the same thing. She will not stop but presenting. she does it, and she um, did
1: not give consent. It,
4: it, is, it is been a problem. We are keeping them away, because I do not want incest kittens, um yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah. although fair. they
4: may have been incest kittens, there's no way to know um in in sittens yeah oh, I in sittens like kit, kits kittens and, and
0: robert who is that other voice on this podcast that people are hearing oh
4: well the only person i would ever have on to talk about kitten incest my friend tom ryman hello tom <laughs> hey hi what's up no i'm i'm glad you you, you got me on to talk about these cats mm-hmm. this is going to be a 3 hour episode about my my mm-hmm. cat's sex life um yeah Tom, you are the co-founder of mm. Gamefully Unemployed, one of my favorite podcast networks. Uh, hosts one of my most listened-to shows, Fox Moulder is a Maniac, which is a beautiful mm. breakdown of, of Fox Moulder and what a what a goddamn lunatic he is. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom, it's, uh, it's it's really fascinating when you yeah. watch the show with that context. <laughs> yeah. it, it it changes the show. Mm. It, it truly does. <laughs> you guys do a lot of great stuff, great movie reviews, and oh, like. thanks. Um, uh, role-playing games. People can find you gamefully unemployed on Patreon. Tom, you also uh, are a, a, a what an editor at Collider. I forget what your I, job yes. title is. Senior yeah. editor of senior features at editor Collider. Of yeah. Features Fancy. at Collider. And you mm-hmm. and I worked together for uh, all of my twenties, more or less, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> at a, a little <laughs> website called Cracked that pivoted to video and. Uh, and went the way of the Dodo. We got got dragged to hell by Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I did come across a a beautiful tweet uh, earlier today that you'll appreciate, Tom. Oh, good, Um, yeah. I can't wait to hear it. Great radio, great radio, yeah. Hold on while I look for something. Anil Dash. Horse broke its leg, so we had to take it out back and help it pivot to video.
5: (laughs) 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 Yep,
4: yep. Oh, Tom, how are you doing today?
5: I'm doing okay. I'm doing. I'm
4: doing pretty good. Thanks. Uh, uh, you know, how about how about you? How about yourself? Well, Tom, I'm thinking about the fact that there is a vast, incredibly well-financed right-wing media operation that is seemingly dedicated to pushing a violent civil conflict that leads to uh, a death toll that's truly astronomical in this nation. <laughs> do you think about that so, a lot? So good, right? So you're yeah. doing good. <laughs> doing great. <laughs>
5: Uh yeah. No, I've tried to think about it less but <laughs> uh in in the past few months. Just yeah I just was trying to take a break, but I'm I'm getting plugged back into it. Um, you sure are. <laughs> and it's uh yeah, god damn it. It's just yeah. it's just it doesn't seem like anything's gotten any better. It sure hasn't. Since it's fucking relentless. And there's it got this got to the election we're like, "Oh, thank God." And then nope, that that didn't go away.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, it turns yeah. out that you, you can't you can't vote these kind of problems away. And today we're going to talk about where some of these problems started. Specifically, we're going to talk about the men who made right-wing media, and particularly like right-wing talk media. So today you've got guys like um Stephen Crowder, uh Ben Shapiro, uh, obviously Tucker Carlson being the big the big man at you had people like Rush Limbaugh I
5: like, <laughs> I like all of all three of those people all four of those people you just named got picked dead last for kickball for very different reasons Yeah, <laughs> they
4: sure did <laughs> <Okay. Yeah>. uh, <laughs> yep. and they made it the entire world's problem yes um, they sure did <laughs> So all of these folks, you know, some of they all they all do slightly different variations of the same thing. And they're not all, you know, Rush is the only one who's like really a talk radio host, but they all have, you know, podcasts and YouTube. They all do the the modern equivalent of talk radio and Mm -hmm. and of like, yeah, we're going to talk about basically the, the, the people who invented the media space that these guys all live in now. These are the very first uh right wing media personalities um in a big way. So these are these are the people who um prepared the the soil for all of the different, you know, kind of quasi-fascist grifters we have today. And they are they're not all bastards in the traditional sense. Um, mm. They're not all people who on their own, if you didn't consider where everything went, would have qualified as bastards. They're all, I think, unpleasant people. Um, but but I think what's interesting is how they How they start off and kind of where they end, like the kind of people who inhabit this space at the beginning and the kind of people who inhabit it now. So this is going to be a fun episode, Tom. You're going to listen to a lot of clips that you're just really going to dislike. Um, oh, good. Oh, yeah. so excited. So pumped. Yeah. I'm going to so, be so mad soon. I yeah, can't wait. You, you, you really are. So, one oh, of the things that boy. inspired this was coming across the fact that Tucker Carlson very recently alleged that the purpose of vaccine requirements in the military was to, quote, identify the sincere Christians in the ranks, the free thinkers, the men with high <laughs> testosterone levels, and anybody else who doesn't love Joe Biden and make them leave immediately. <laughs> What um, the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> he's getting into high tea. Your <laughs> testosterone's low if you're getting vax, That's soy boy shit. Not choking on just, your own rotting lungs is soy.
5: <laughs> it's, it's become, I mean, it was, it's always been the case, but like in the past year or two, it's, yeah. it's really become obvious that they it, just let him go on and say whatever. He just says anything. Like, he just it's, says
4: things. Yeah, and I, I I'm, I'm starting with Tucker because he's, He's just off the fucking rails completely. And this is the end route of of the journey that we're going to trace the start of today. Um, and okay. the thing that Tucker's been saying that most concerns me is he started sharing Great Replacement-style conspiracy theories, oh. which are alleging that Democrats plan to, quote, change the population of this country in order to maintain power. This is functionally the same argument Brenton Tarrant, the Christchurch shooter, made in the manifesto he wrote before shooting 50 Muslim worshippers to death. Um, mm-hmm. his, his manifesto was titled The Great Replacement. It's the same argument. And that- the, oof. Yeah. I'm, try, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember my behind the bastards extended universe. Uh That all comes from the Turner Diaries, right? I mean, it doesn't come from, the Turner Diaries was like a big, definitely was pushing that. But it this goes back a while for, for, I mean, you could even draw a line to like the original Nazis and kind of some of the shit Hitler was saying about Aryan blood getting watered down from interbreeding and whatnot. For sure, yeah. Yeah. It's a big, big white nationalist talking point. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this good went from, Great Replacement went from like fringe Nazi- murderer manifesto in night, 2019 to Tucker Carlson talking to 3 million people on a major news network in 2021 shows like how fast things go now and how, how dangerous this all is. And I think it's important to start the stakes because it it doesn't begin that way. The guys who start this kind of right-wing media space um, are in the first guy we're going to talk to is in a lot of ways kind of pleasant, um at least compared to what came after i don't think he's someone i, I would have gotten along with but it's don't believe you it's 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 weird we'll see how <laughs> you think um, okay <laughs> yeah and we we discussed this is probably going to be these episodes will be a nice companion to our two-parter on Rush Limbaugh with Mr. Paul F. Tompkins so you know, if you're, if you're looking for a good four-episode spree to go together, listen to these two and then listen to those while you're oh, sweet. having a very long shit or um, <laughs> on a road trip. So, first guy we're talking about, Tom, is Joe Pine, P-Y-N-E. Joe Pine was born in Chester, Pennsylvania on December 22nd, 1924. His well, dad was your le- problem. <laughs> what, t- t- December 22nd <laughs> or 1924?
5: Pennsylvania. Oh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> All of the above. Yeah, get get it out the of there. Store. We don't need
4: that state.
5: It's <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you look at that, you look at those those three pieces of information, like, oh, this is like a 50-50 shot. This yeah. guy's gonna be a real piece of
4: shit. <laughs> yeah, Pennsylvania in the 20s. <laughs> yeah, that ain't in, oh, in a December, baby. Fuck that. <laughs> uh, Uh, His dad was a brickmaker and his mom was a mom, which was pretty much the only job most women could expect to work at that point in time and place. When Joe Mm -hmm. was little, his family moved to Atlantic City, which is like Las Vegas, but less fun and much sadder because it's on the (laughs) East Coast. Um, There's a good Bruce Springsteen song about that. Uh, he had a difficult childhood uh, Joe had a pronounced stutter And kids back then were even shittier about such things Than they are today He was bullied relentlessly When Joe was 11 he lost his younger brother to an auto accident Which was not uncommon in the, those days Because cars didn't crumple And seat belts were but a fever dream in Ralph Nader's eye By the time Joe was a teenager His family left Atlantic City Which is always a good decision And moved back to Chester Which is a more questionable decision
5: right. yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all they knew it's all they knew. <laughs> we're we're going to hey, pile the family into our giant, unstoppable seat beltless car and drive back to, West to Chester.
4: He went to high school and he joined the Marines in 1942, which was a popular decision at the time. Uh, he joined as mm. early as he possibly could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, a lot of guys joined the military in 1942. Must have been good ads. <laughs> uh, something's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he joined as, as the early, like the first day he possibly could. Um, and obviously the U S had decided to enter world war II At this point, he was deployed against the empire of Japan and he fought in some of the war's worst battles across the South Pacific. Joe survived the battle of Okinawa, which is one of the, like, like one of the worst fights you could possibly have been in, in that war. Real, mm. real bad battle Okinawa. Um, <laughs> During that battle, a Japanese plane bombed the forward base he was stationed on, seriously injuring his knee. He returned home scarred and seasoned by heavy combat. Joe had won three bronze stars for valor in battle and a purple heart. So he he, he definitely saw okay. some shit. This is not one of like the draft dodgy
5: right wing guys. Right. This yeah. is not Ben Shapiro writing war fan fiction. Like he went no. to
4: war and got bombs yeah. dropped on his leg. Yeah. yeah, he saw some of the worst shit you could have seen in that particular conflict. Um. So he returns home Real fucked up uh, Probably with a head full of PTSD But they didn't <laughs> know PTSD was a thing So I'm assuming he just drank Washed it down with cigarettes a Real head full of <laughs> horny cats <laughs> Yeah Uh, When he got home, he didn't know precisely what he wanted to do with his life, but he was certain that it involved putting himself in front of people and entertaining them. In order to do that, he felt he would need to deal with his speech impediment first using his GI
5: what led him to that decision I don't know relentlessly bullied went to war got bombed his dead brother comes back he's like I'm gonna be an entertainer I'm gonna be an entertainer I'm I'm gonna be be a star (laughs) (laughs) where does that impulse come from
4: yeah we just don't know enough about his early life to know like what the fuck was going on maybe he just wanted to show people my speech impediment doesn't define me Uh, I don't know. Sure. I beat the Japanese. I can beat uh, stuttering. (laughs) Um, So using his GI Bill, Joe enrolled in a drama school. He forced himself through agonizing hours of live performances in front of his classmates to overcome his stutter. He locked himself away in his room and would perform hours and hours of speech drills every day. And eventually he did overcome his speech impediment. Once he graduated, Joe became a taxi driver in Chester. He continued to work on his speech while he was driving people around. Um, eventually he decided he'd come far enough and he started a career as a broadcaster. By this so the point... Way you, the, way, the way you phrased that made it sound like he
5: was doing like his speeches to his passengers. Yeah, I think right, he now, was. Hold on, now
4: listen. Yeah. listen <laughs> yeah. to this. Now give me some notes, alright? <laughs> I got a tight five, I'm gonna run it by you. Yeah. There's no seatbelts, right. so you better it. laugh. Yeah, right, yeah, we haven't invented seatbelts <laughs> yeah. yet. You are really dependent upon me. <laughs> so... He uh he th- th- he does this um and uh yeah he he decides he's he's finished by like late 1946. Um now again 1940s radio is king. TVs coming around but that's still not the number one way people get entertained. You you really radio is is the top of the top of the world and they assume it will be forever. Uh, He was able to convince a station manager in Lumberton, North Carolina, to give him a job on WTSB. The pay was $25 a week, which was not good money even back then. And he failed Mm -hmm. to stand out enough that he felt he had any hope of advancement. So after a year, he returned home, dejected. But Joe kept pushing until he got another job at WPWA in Brookhaven, Pennsylvania. He got into a vicious argument with his boss while still new on the job and was quickly fired. Next, he moved to WILM of Wilmington, Delaware, where he was also quickly fired. Yeah, Mm. you get the feeling he was not easy to work with at this point. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, email didn't exist, so these people couldn't tell each other about Joe. (laughs) He moved back to Chester after this and then to Kenosha next, where he got a job with a new network called WILP. His job in all of these places was very straightforward. Introduce and play records with a minimum of fanfare. He was not being hired to be a personality. He was just put the music
5: on. He was just a
4: dick. He was just was yelling he just at his boss. Yeah, them. that was a big part of it. Um, He would riff a lot. He got in trouble in Kenosha, and I think he'd gotten in trouble before. He would riff on politics and current events, which was not what oh, we were no. supposed to do at the time. <laughs> so. His bosses are like nobody. Nobody. People are tuning in to hear. I don't know what the big music of that. The big bopper. Nobody wants yeah. you. Nobody gives a shit about what Dude, you have to say. They Joe. Hear
5: Chantilly lace. Yeah. Put the...
4: on Chantilly lace and shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke a cigarette. <laughs> um. Yeah, the kind of riffing that he thought was the future of radio was simply not done at the time. Commenters were part of the news department, and jockeys were not. Disc jockeys were there to entertain, and he'd been hired as a disc jockey. Um, So if you were going to be a commentator, if you were talking about the news, you didn't, like, give your opinion. You tried to just kind of, like, read, you know, like, the AP wire, basically. Um, WLIP, though, took call-ins. Listeners could dial in and request songs. But Joe started insisting on asking his listeners what they thought about the political issues of the day which was the first time anyone had ever really done that on radio like take call-ins and he kind of forced the issue of making them political one WLIP employee at the time recalled he wanted to chat with them but in those days there was no way to put a phone line on the air Joe would say uh-huh and mm-hmm and then tell the call- the listeners what the callers said so this is like Jesus this is Christ. the very first talk radio he's just on the phone with them being like All right so here's what he said <laughs> like, so let yeah. me tell you what Dennis from Poughkeepsie just said <laughs> yeah And you're like listening to almost dead air while he's listening to the (laughs) person. He's just on the phone. (laughs) But this is this is literally the birth of talk radio. This is the first time anybody does this. Joe Pine, and he he moves along eventually. And I'm gonna uh, to explain that process. I'm gonna read a quote from a write-up in Smithsonian Magazine. One caller objected to the young DJ's pro-union opinions. Do you know anything, sir, about the history of labor management relations? Pine asked the man. After a moment of dead air, he continued, No, you keep your voice down. Pine was an, I- an expert interrupter, but this caller barely paused for breath. Listening, Pine had an idea. According to Rigani, who worked there, he held the phone receiver to his microphone. Now the caller was live on the air, and call-in radio was born. Um, so that's 1949 in Kenosha. Joe Pine invents call in radio by literally holding a phone up to the mic.
5: In fairness, uh, some random dude calling in to request Frankie Valley, who had very strong opinions about labor unions, <laughs> yeah. is who actually created
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. call radio. <laughs> this guy's such an asshole. I got to put yeah. him on. Yeah. He's so pissed yeah. about it. <laughs> that's <laughs> so a fair white. point. You got to hear what a piece of shit this guy is. <laughs> Let me invent a new discipline that will later Boy, ratchet the Country <laughs> towards violence <Yeah. laughs> it was born in stupid anger and it it will kill us all with yeah, stupid and, anger and to stupid anger it will return yeah perfect what a beautiful yep. way for that to get started. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love because this guy gives birth to right wing radio. But he he the start of talk radio was him trying to defend like the right to unionize, which is
5: right. Again, that was I was not expecting that to be the issue you when you said be, it. I
4: was like, really? <laughs> that you could be pretty conservative and pro union in those because it wasn't it was more racist back then obviously everything was but politics in some ways was less dumb um it wasn't it hadn't gotten to the point where it is with like the right wing left wing like conservatism is such a part of my like identity that like i i have this vested interest in like demonizing anything like you you did have a lot of uh i mean like like one of the union strongholds in the US for a long time was west fucking virginia you know like People like fought to the death for unions at West Virginia with rifles. Um, and now it's Joe Manchin country. Uh, so, well, sorry, West Virginia. Um, but like, yeah, the things were different than politically is what I'm saying. And, and yeah. Um, so Joe was fired. Uh, I think this kind of is part of what got him fired because his, Mm. his, his boss at the station was like, you're supposed to be playing songs, Joe. What the fuck are you (laughs) doing? Holding the phone (laughs) up to the goddamn (laughs) microphone.
5: (laughs) Put on the goddamn wreck. Put on the fucking twist.
4: Yeah do you want to get a rush limbaugh because that's how you get a limbaugh yeah, this is how we get a limbaugh this put the, the phone down Shapiro's. put on the goddamn music <laughs> i don't want to listen to steven crowder's heart surgery problems in 25 years or 45 years however many years 100 years 60 years whatever it's, too it's, many it's, years tom 500 years yeah it's it 500 was years ago nobody's, mm-hmm. nobody's that is even alive anymore no no god thank god um So despite, uh, yeah, uh, inventing call-in radio, Joe's boss did not appreciate him. Uh, He wanted someone to read ads and introduce songs. The two fought constantly. At one point, Joe demanded a raise, which led to a fight. Another WLIP host later recalled stumbling in on the melee. Joe was yelling, she recalled. He had one hand on our boss's lapel. He picked up a typewriter and threw it against the wall. Oh, fuck! (laughs) So that gives you a little bit of an idea of like, why this guy keeps having problems with his co-workers.
5: Yeah, he almost, uh, that was dangerous. He almost
4: uh, scored some points in me there, though, because you were like, he picked
5: up a typewriter. I'm like, here we Go. Here we go. Throw it against the wall. Hit him All in right. the face. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> fair, fair compromise. All right. Yeah. Throw it against yeah. the wall.
4: <laughs> so he gets fired again, and he continues to move around frequently. You know, while he's going from radio station to radio station, he marries a beauty queen. He divorces her a year later because she gets sick of him. Uh, while he's working at WYLM, he starts a show called It's Your Nickel, so named because the nickel was the standard cost for a call on a payphone. And this right, was the yeah. first, yeah proper radio talk show the it's your nickel and, so he does get a job doing the thing that he invented and that's um,
5: that became a phrase like uh it's your dime or it's your yeah. nickel or it's your dollar yeah it's like a phrase exactly
4: yeah and i don't know if that's the he may have just been right, using yeah, that phrase because it was already like what people right. said um, but yeah, um, he, I mean, he may have invented it. I have not done that research, Tom. Um, that, someone fair. at home will. Yeah,
5: something something that sticks out to me about Old Joe Pine is that he has trouble forming uh, lasting relationships. Yeah, seems like he like goes it. from job to job, marries a woman, divorces her late. Like mm-hmm. he seems like he might be impossible to be
4: around. It does, and it also, <laughs> again, this is one of those black box of history things. I do kind of wonder how much of this is a PTSD because that can make That's it real true. hard yeah. to get along with people and hard he, to regulate your emotions. It might make he, you more likely to throw a typewriter. <laughs> yeah. He did get bombed in one of the most notorious uh, <laughs> battles PTSD. of world war two. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who knows? It's, it's one of those things. It's like lead exposure, which uh, I'm sure Joe Pine was also exposed to a tremendous amount of lead. Like you wonder how much of an impact did this have on like, the way people were back then. I and,
5: you wonder how many people
4: were just walking around poisoned and crazy yeah. like
5: 70 years ago, just because yeah. that's the way it was.
4: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of like pretty strong evidence that at least the lead exposure may have been part of why there was so much more violence back, you know, even just like 20 something years ago. Um, cause everybody was inhaling lead and eating lead off the walls and <sighs> I do want some delicious lead, Tom. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's nothing that goes with like a nice brie. Like you get a, mm-hmm. a lead chip and you just dip it in a brie. That's a good, just yeah. a nice mix of sweet and savory. Yeah, so, like a lead flight. Yeah, like a yeah. lead flight, like a flight of mm-hmm. lead. I'm going to start a lead restaurant, Tom. I think you should, yeah. A lead lead in every food. Yeah, yeah. a little <laughs> lead bar. <laughs> get the lead out, we'll call it. A lead chicken in every pot. Now, Tom, you know who else will expose you to tremendous amounts of lead? Mm, uh, the X-Man Colossus. That, that is probably accurate. I don't know as much about X-Men as you. Um, but, <laughs> but the products and services that support this podcast certainly will expose you to lead. That is the only guarantee we make about our sponsors. Every one of them filled with lead. Yep. It's a powerful guarantee. Mm-hmm. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and
1: here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun.
2: Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends.
3: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino.
4: I wanted to start this by letting my uh, letting my audience know that that our guest today Tom Ryman has a bit of a mm-hmm. superpower which Ooh. is and everyone who knows you knows this Tom which is that when you when you whenever you mention a movie and you will talk about like you know that guy who was in the background in that in that scene in American Beauty and you'll be like oh yeah it's such and such and this is the other <laughs> films they were in I've never yeah. known anybody who can do that the way that you can Yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah, the human no, I th- I IMDB. Thought, mm-hmm. I thought you were going to tell everybody
5: about my optic blast, so I'm glad you didn't, um, no, spill, I'm no, glad you didn't keeping, spill that secret. Um, keeping that a secret for when uh, no, yeah, I probably- rob a bank. <laughs> no, I've been, I've been, I don't know. I just, I do that. Like I, I keep it encyclopedic record of, of, uh, dates and uh, like people in movies and stuff. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I'm probably somewhere on the spectrum, uh, <laughs> but it's just a thing I do. It's, I don't it's, know.
4: It's almost a soup, like it is kind of a superpower. Like it's, it's really, it's really fun. And it made like when we, when we were all, I mean, I lived together with like half of the people we worked with at Cracked and you were always over and uh, just the, the, the movie conversations with you and Dave were always mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of fun. That's uh, yeah. part no, we, of why I listen to your podcasts. oh thanks. Yeah, no, we lived in your room. Remember? Oh yeah, you did. <laughs> like
5: yeah, the first three I was up in the we mountains. In LA, we just <laughs> yes. lived in your room.
4: <laughs> I was, I was doing redacted things in the mountains, and and mostly not home at that point in time. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. oh the days of our lives. Like sand through the hourglass, Tom. So, Like lead through the hourglass. Like lead through the hourglass. So Joe Pine gets his first proper radio talk show, It's Your Nickel, on WILM. And again, he's he's out of there. He's in there. I think this is like his second time working for them. Um, And this article from the Broadcaster's Desktop Resource makes it clear what kind of show Joe ran, the very first radio talk show. Quote, "In his nightly introduction he said, the mic is open. My name's Joe Pine. I guess you know yours. The program this program is dedicated to the free exchange of ideas and to differences of opinion. I don't ap- I don't propose to have all the answers, but I do promise to talk about the things that interest you." So that's a nice there's little that, There's that free exchange of ideas phrase. I, he did I think kind of mean it as opposed to the people who say it today. I think they're mm-hmm. aping him. But I'll 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 play you some clips from his. I, he did he was, yeah, it's interesting. Um, now, the show did often become a shout-fest, pe- uh, a shout fest, uh, with Pine definitely in control. No topic was sacred, from sex to religion to politics, but when he felt a listener had gone on for too long or was making no sense, he would make a rude remark, like, you're sick, and hang up on the person. <laughs> yeah. Enduring Pine's abusive rhetoric was the so challenge for the is. audience, many of whom tried to debate him before he hung up on them. His views tended to be quite conservative most of the time, and Pine seemed to dare his listeners to disagree with him. His style of arguing included using very derogatory terms. Known for being adept with words, his arsenal of insults and put-downs became the stuff of legends. Among his best-known were, if your brains were dynamite, you couldn't blow your nose. There was also go gargle with razor blades and take your teeth out, put them in backwards and Jesus. bite your throat. <laughs> jesus christ at least the man's creative that third one's pretty
5: nice yeah Yeah, that's good i'd heard heard the other two i'm like yeah those are old standards and this turn your teeth around i'm like ooh.
4: yeah so when he this is in 1951 too while he's in the middle of changing radio forever his old war injury flares up badly enough that surgeons have to amputate his left leg from the knee down shit um so he's back in the studio with a prosthetic limb soon after. And while the fake leg was obvious to everyone who saw him, he never meant he he it did get mentioned on air. We'll talk about that in a bit. But he refused yeah. to mention it on air. Judging by his pro-union views, Joe was at least one at one point at least more of a moderate than he became. But the longer he's on doing talk radio, he pulls further and further to the right. Um, in 1953, he celebrated on air when the U.S. electrocuted Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, saying, mm. "We finally incinerated those commies. I hope it was slow and painful." Good. Uh, that's
5: that's interesting. Shit. That the longer. I mean, I'm sure you're going to make this connection, Mm -hmm. but the longer he's on the air, the more conservative he pulls. And I wonder, could that be because uh, having bad faith arguments to generate, we call them rage clicks now, but uh, just to stoke controversy by needling people and by playing the devil's advocate just to get people heated and arguing to. Fuel the ratings for his own show,
4: yeah i I really don't know. um i, I I'm sure that was an element of it. i i because I because clearly he's going after controversy. He's going after rage, mm-hmm. but also we'll talk about it. He was not always the guy you would expect um. That's that's yeah. So we're we're building that. So Joe had a keen understanding of how to communicate with the lowest common denominator in U.S. politics. He told reporters quite without shame that radio was geared towards the mentality of 13 year old kids and that Mm. most Americans were politically apathetic and easy to persuade of just about anything. He claimed that he used shocking language and would make extreme allegations in order to get people to think. He told the L.A. Times that while his critics called him a hate monger, All he really did was encourage stimulating dialogue. You see, he knows what he's doing, and I think that's a big part of like why he gets more right wing in his because it's easier to kind of like again speak to the mentality of thirteen year old kids if you're just like making these kind of reactionary arguments. he
5: wants to piss people off so that they react and he gets a show yeah. out of it,
4: yeah, 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 that that's a part of it. that's not all of it because he is when there were times when he would be challenged it it kind of depended on how it was if he found someone interesting, even if they were coming in from a very different perspective, he would let them talk and sometimes very respectfully, so he was not. Well, he's he's the start and he's doing a lot of unpleasant stuff. He's also not, He's a, unequivocally a better person than Ben Shapiro is what I'm saying, <laughs> Like right? Like his goal in any given conversation wasn't just to own them. He would actually listen to people sometimes who were bringing up some pretty radical stuff. We're, we'll get to that. Oh, in yeah. 1957, a little over uh, – after a little over six years on air, Joe left WILM. This time it was his own choice. He was famous, at least locally, and his salary was $42,000 a year, which is almost 10 times the average salary for a ma- – it's about 400 grand a year in like modern dollars. Like, he was making real good money. This time, Joe (laughs) left because his dreams had overgrown a very comfortable working condition. Um, He traveled to Riverside, California, and he got a job at a local radio station that quickly led to a TV job at KTLA in Los Angeles. He would later claim that his first TV show, which was essentially a filmed version of It's Your Nickel, had been a huge success. But the show lasted less than a year, and I found no clips of it anywhere um Joe uh, moves yeah. back yeah yeah I'd be surprised if there's any no. footage that still exists There is a we have some clips of his the show that come next came next but it's because there's like a grassroots archival effort to like digitize all of the old tape master tapes So after his first year in LA Joe moves back across the country to Chester uh where he works for a Philadelphia TV station for a first time for the for a short time and then he goes back to WILM for a little while, he licks his wounds. He, se- wounds. he seemed to know that a show like his, a political talk show where people could scream about politics to a mass audience, was the wave of the future and was going to be huge on television, but the world wasn't ready quite yet. For a few years, Joe continued to broadcast, but in the early 1960s, he decided the time was finally right, and he moved back to L.A., where he got a job at KABC. And I'm going to quote from the broadcaster's desktop resource again. Once again, he polarized the audience, with some listeners and guests complaining he was too caustic and others saying his candor was refreshing, but as in Wilmington, he had people talking about him and his show. From KABC, he went over to KLAC in 1965, doing the 9 uh, p.m. to midnight shift. Never one to avoid controversial guests, he put Nazis and members of the Ku Klux Klan on the air. Earning oh, the displeasure. Yeah, Oh, yeah, dope. Sweet. <laughs> earning the <laughs> displeasure of the American Jewish Committee and a warning from the FCC. He also had guests, guests who believed in eugenics, guests who were racists, guests with strange theories about past lives or UFOs, and the arguments continued controversy sold, Joe's salary ballooned to $200,000 a year, which is nearly $2 million a year by modern standards. Jesus Christ. NBC, ra- yeah, he's making it bang. <laughs> I mean, this, God. as soon as, that he's giving people, like, what Tucker Carlson and stuff. Now, I will be fair, when he has Nazis and KKK members on, it's so that he can scream at them like yeah. <laughs> yeah well that's but it's good still, like, it's still like it's pro- still like there's a it's still problematic but it's not <laughs> yeah. as problematic as it is today where you have people affiliated with similar organizations yeah, we're you good, talk like about the, how the f- what a good point young nazi horseshit yeah. yeah get the hell out of here he was getting outrage clicks but at least the uh, the understanding was people are going to hate these Nazis. Right, this is bad <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> at least yeah. that was like the yeah. understanding yeah at was least these guys that was the suck. fucking <laughs> understanding <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Again, you can still argue, In I think it is pretty irresponsible to do that, but at least the understanding was like, fuck these guys, let's let's yeah. yell at them. No, um, let's, hear, let's, not, let's hear them out. Yeah. <laughs> no. NBC Radio Network started syndicating his show nationally in March of 1966, and it was soon on more than 200 stations around the country. He called what he did fist-in-the-mouth radio, and now that he was on a new time slot, the mid-morning uh, rather than the night, as he'd usually been before, his ratings exploded. This is just generally thought to be due to the fact that being on earlier in the day opened him up to a vast new audience of bored housewives people were titillated one of his networks advertised the show in a full page newspaper spread listing all the nazis and klansmen and other pieces of shit he'd had on his show and then concluding (laughs) with you may agree or disagree with joe pine you may scream in rage at some of his remarks but you won't turn him off (laughs) yeah is that, I mean what's, it,
5: what's the intent of that stay is that is that shaming me is that like yeah is that is, like yeah do you want me to feel I don't bad I do yeah. yeah but you won't turn
4: him off yeah you motherfucker we can't this is do on you. about it unless you turn him off <laughs> like, I we want this people. motherfucker off the air yeah. but we can't you like <laughs> him too much you of son of him. a bitch <laughs> we tried to look
5: <laughs> in the doors he just shows up inside somehow <laughs> he has secret doors <laughs>
4: So Joe was on both the radio and the TV, and his television show alone earned him more money per year than Mickey Mantle played playing made playing for the Yankees. So he's making, like, more than Mickey Mantle money. Now, yeah. professional sports players made less money in those days, but still, he's... He's raking it in. He was the top-rated talk show host in the second-largest market in the U.S.
5: Yeah, it feels yeah. wrong that that I don't know. Yeah, like you said, uh, professional athletes made less money back then. But like, it feels wrong that like it's Mickey, Mickey Mantle. Mantle. Make less? Yeah, I know it, who
4: Mickey Mantle is. Yeah.
5: If anyone, shouldn't he make all the money? <laughs> like,
4: mm-hmm. so uh, from Smithsonian Magazine, quote. At a time when TV's leading men included Walter Cronkite, Edward R. Murrow, Andy Griffith, and Captain Kangaroo, Pine was the medium's first shock jock, a firebrand who invited hippies, civil rights activists, and Ku Klux Klansmen alike to take a hike or go gargle with razor blades. By the mid-60s, he was the most popular TV radio voice in America. Johnny Carson had more television viewers, but Pine, with a syndicated TV show and 200-plus radio outlets, had an audience to rival Johnny's. Life magazine called him sadistic, a barroom tough, but millions turned in to watch the fireworks when a guest advocating free love set off a melee pines audience charged the set and knocked it flat oh shit one guest the suave tv personality david suskind earned a chorus of booze for calling pines program an orgy for morons host and guest both got a kick out of that so yeah, it is like the first on-air it's fight springer yeah 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 he's also it's, like jerry springer the first Springer. he's the first the Geraldo and uh, morton um. Yeah, Morton. Did, we'll be talking about Morton later. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Um. Like all of it's not just like Tucker Carlson. The time. So like fucking he, like, they, they he cracked every aspect yeah. of this. Like, he really on. did. He's yeah. it, he is an important man to know about. Like he really. Uh, he figured was this it, out. Yeah. He was, Yeah. He figured some shit out. Most of it shit I wish no one had figured out. Right, yeah. But he it's did like, figure it out. <laughs>
5: Yeah. I can make millions if I put Nazis on the air.
4: Mm-hmm, yeah. Now, I think it's probably a better time to give you a better idea of how Joe sounded, because when you read it out the way I've put it together, it probably sounds like he's like a stereotypical modern shock jock. And while he was the prototype for that, his actual broadcasting style was much more subdued and witty. In this oh, clip, <laughs> Joe interviews an early vegan activist in what he called his beef box. Check it out. That as you cannot hear the screams of a lamb, in the slaughterhouse you cannot hear the screams of your
3: son on the battlefield
2: i uh, would like to ask you a meaningful question at this point are you a vegetarian i am indeed mm-hmm. do you ever eat tomatoes i would say to you yes or for no? the last three thousand years man mind. Has i'm created... asking you a question do you ever eat tomatoes for the yes last, last or no? three thousand 000... do you eat tomatoes of course I do. You do? Do you know that there is now scientific proof that when you cut a tomato, it screams? There is electrical... There is electrical... You are a killer of tomatoes.
3: tomatoes. And My friend, there the, tomato pay. You are. the tomato doesn't bleed. No the tomato feels no pain. The tomatoes. blood doesn't bleed. You're killing
6: tomatoes.
2: The tomato <laughs> does not splatter <laughs> in tomatoes. Take a walk. Oh, you're gonna sing something? I would. All
4: right.
3: <laughs> this I is the tomato stump.
4: Love you.
3: I love you. As the animal dies, so shall you the take the slaughter of that animal.
4: All right, that's so probably right. enough of that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So yeah, that's, what, do you, what uh, do you think of that, Tom? That uh, was
5: not what I was expecting. Like, <laughs> I he, know, he, right? He sounds like Walter Cronkite,
4: and then he <laughs> yeah. flips the fuck out. <laughs> Yeah and uh, then he flips the fuck out but he, yeah. he he starts from this real low ebb and he also does like he says get off but then the guys like well I want to sing and he's like no, absolutely no. yeah please do no this please is great do. for me yeah that's going to be incredible
5: content and that clip was from 66
4: um, wow yeah 1966 it
5: feels extremely
4: modern especially yeah, that could like almost be on tv today yeah
5: his ba- his extremely bad yeah. faith argument
4: <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's all he's a, he's, a, he's a
5: trailblazer tom yeah this guy you could put um, this dude on TV right yeah. now and he would be the
4: hottest thing.
5: <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's amazing. Too. And he
0: Aww. there's
4: a level of almost, um, yeah, it, 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 it's just different than the way they they mock people today. Um, it's almost more it's almost gentler um, in a weird way. Uh, he, he's he's not the it he's not the same as what came after. Again, he's this weird mix of what we have today and like walter Cronkite. it's it's a fascinating it's fascinating to just listen to his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um When the civil rights movement kicked off, Joe devoted a tremendous amount of time to discussing the angry Negro, which, um, it's more or oh less boy. what you'd expect. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Can oh we hear that clip? <laughs> in one episode he brought on several militant black activists. I believe they were Black Panthers, and in a heated moment during the show, I've not been able to find this clip, but it's very famous. During the show, he opens his desk drawer to show them his revolver, and he threatens them with it on air. Um, so he, sweet. he could he could go off. Uh he advocated bombing North Vietnam back to the stone age, obviously. Um, But he could also be a surprising man in part because he came from an era in which political figures could admit to learning something and changing their opinion. And in part because some of the issues that are now very aggressive are a lot less were a lot less settled in those days in terms of like how it was going to break down right or left. So he conducted an interview with Cosmopolitan editor Helen Gurley Brown. Um, And he started the interview by calling her a dingbat and then asked her to explain why girls should be considered equal to men in the workplace. But then he sat quietly while she gave her speech like explaining her piece on women's liberation and he applauded her at the end of it. Um, He was certainly more polite to women than towards men and more polite to white people towards black people. But even when uh, in interviewing people he clearly despised, Joe maintained an air that's just so much more con- congenial than what you see on TV today. Um, Here he is talking to Paul Krasner, a left-wing magazine publisher who later went on to head High Times. So this is him talking with someone he
2: fucking hates. Uh, Which deodorant does Lyndon Johnson use? Now, what does that mean? What is that? Paul Krasner, what is that? Which deodorant does Lyndon Johnson use? That's your front page head. (laughs) Yes. You want to know which one? By brand name? No, I want to know what is that. What is the, what is the reason for that? Well, I think that the President of the United States uh, is at such a height uh, that people have such to. Such a what? A height. Height. He's put on such a pedestal that people
0: have to realize that he is only a human mm. being and does use a deodorant. Oh.
7: <laughs>
0: like you and me.
2: Nope. <laughs> and I'm a little worried about you. I'm
4: He's prepared. lighting a cigarette now. <laughs> so, yeah, that's like it's clearly, again, this is not somebody he particularly respects, but it's also like it's not a shouting debate, I guess, is what impresses not impresses is, is the thing that that is interesting to me, because like you don't you, you don't have that kind of like congenial distaste is how it, it feels watching them.
5: Yeah, he feels more like Carson than like yeah. um, a Tucker Carlson at this point. Yeah,
4: yeah. And it's the kind, I wish I could find the thing, the interview he does with those those Black Panthers where he, he shows them his revolver because I've heard different descriptions of it. Some that make it sound like he's threatening them with a gun and some that make it sound like he's just like, well, I have a gun too. And like, I really don't know. I I and I don't I don't know what the actual tone was in that episode. Either one is entirely possible based on what yeah. you've shown me ab- yeah, of this exactly. guy. Exactly. Yeah. Either one <laughs> makes
5: complete sense. Like he's yeah, he's more polite, but he's still he's, he's still he's,
4: oh for sure. A he's shithead making reaction. bad
5: faith yeah. arguments, and he's being yeah, a shithead. So it's yeah, like-
4: Yeah, and the interview with Krasner got markedly less friendly after the ad break uh, from Smithsonian Magazine, quote, Why do you print the most obscene words? Pine demanded. Do you edit your magazine because you were an unwanted child? To which Krasner responds, no, daddy. Their talk went downhill from there. He asked me about my acne scars, says Krasner, now 85. That was a low blow. I said, let me ask you something. Do you take off your wooden leg before you make love to your wife? And his jaw dropped. According to Krasner, the audience gasped while Pine's producers averted their eyes and the atmosphere became surrealistic.
2: (laughs) That's good TV,
4: though,
5: right there. That's good TV. uh, So the listeners know this, what was this clip, 67, something like that? Yeah, 67.
4: Yeah, do you fuck Imagine your wife that. with your fake leg? Imagine <laughs> 1967 that on TV in the 60s. <laughs> yeah. Andy Griffith is the biggest name in entertainment. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this shit's on TV. Holy shit. Like you could see, like, and that's part of the other thing that's interesting. Like, I'm gonna guess a lot of his audience, if not most of it, weren't right wing. Like a lot of them were probably people who like guys like Paul Krasner, but like want to see shit like this on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, people have these kind of like conversations. He'll talk to fucking anyone. Um, Um, And he could surprise you. But before we get into that, Tom, you know what else is going to surprise you? Mm, No. The quality of the products and services that support this podcast. That would be a surprise. Yeah, it it will be a surprise.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island?
3: I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary.
6: VGW, avoid or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows? on AE Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
4: We're back! uh and we're we're talking about what I think is one of the more surprising things I found. Um so Joe Pine was one of the very first major media figures in the United States to platform a transgender woman discussing trans issues uh, and he did show in a way that is incredibly surprising for the time. This is from nineteen sixty six um and i I want to just play this and uh, the the woman he's talking to, Christine Jorgensen, was like one of the very first super public transgender media figure. Yes, yeah, very famous. Yeah. Very famous. Um so he's he's certainly not the first person to talk to her, but he's he's one of the first people with a massive platform to sit down and have a long conversation with a transgender person in a a major outlet. And I think the tone of the conversation, given where we are now with the right wing on this issue, is going to be surprising to people.
2: It was our guest who first flushed the problems of transsexuals into the open. Christine Jorgensen was born a male. She was described in her high school annual as a clever lad. Later, she became a private first class in the Army. Though outwardly a boy, Christine was sexually disturbed. The story of her later discovery and transformation electrified the world. It was the first chapter in a new outlook toward the transsexual phenomenon. And yet I can't believe that yours was the first Operation oh, no. of this type.
7: It wasn't Joe. Uh, uh, the first one was, uh, I think, done somewhere in the area of 1926 or 27. There was a marvelous doctor in Germany called Magnus Hirschfeld, who started the whole investigation to our in our modern age. Let's put it that way. Before that, there may have been others, but I know
2: not of them. Is this a legal operation in the United States yet?
7: Oh, yes. Oh, certainly. You know, they're doing it at Johns Hopkins now in Baltimore. Heavens the best. Yes, and they're doing it at the University of Minnesota Medical School. They've done five cases, to the best of my knowledge, at University of California Medical School.
2: How many people in your particular predicament do you think there are today? I mean, not those who have successfully... Assuming you have successfully yes. bridged the gap, but how many are in that spot where they need this?
7: Well, I can only judge by what I heard when, from Johns Hopkins. When I was in Baltimore several weeks ago, uh, Dr. Money and I did a television show together, and he's one of the doctors involved in Johns Hopkins. And he asked me if he, if I thought I knew how many, and I said I don't have the vaguest idea. And he said he, according to his statistics, there should be thirty thousand transsexuals of both sides. In the United States.
2: To get it straight, a transsexual and a trans- transvestite differ in that the transvestite is a dressing up type of homosexual and you don't claim to be a homosexual. No. Now you, a... I should say you claim you're not a homosexual.
7: Well an interesting point. If you say that if I was established and accepted by society for the first 26 years of my life as a male, then my emotional feelings during that period toward another male had to be considered a homosexual emotion in the eyes of society, although I never saw it that way in my own eyes. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, Joe, may I correct something which Surely. has been very, is very startling, I think, that a transvestite, they have proven uh, statistically that 99% of them are heterosexual. Now this is even more interesting than ever.
2: I mean, people who, men who dress up right. in women's clothing are really, by the world standards, normal sexually? That's right.
4: Wow. So, yeah, that's, that's not what I expected.
5: Surprising, yeah. I mean, you know, he does he does say heavens to Betsy when she's she's talking yeah. about the different, but and he's
4: like the terminology like, again. This is uh, nineteen sixty seven, right? But yeah,
5: right. so it is like sure, okay, Joe. Like he's actually like okay, what's the proper term? What's the difference? Yeah. Like explain and he, what you're. He's your experience very careful is.
4: about gendering yeah. her properly. He's um, being it's very surprising. Yeah, it's not what, yeah. I,
5: what I would have. This.
4: Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. And I, I talked to a, a transgender friend of mine about this, and she did point out that Christine Jorgensen had some, like, kind of pretty anti-gay attitudes. And one of the things that was going on here and one of the things that made her acceptable is that, like, she was like, well, I'm not going to be, like, people like me won't be homosexual if we get to transition, right? Because right. then it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I didn't really catch that when I listened to the interview, um, but I can see how that could have been an element here. Although when he brings up homosexuality, I didn't note anything aggressive in it. Like he was just kind of asking for clarification about, yeah, not Not in this. I'm sure he, I'm sure he was right. Yeah. There's Um, no way. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, not the interview I would have expected. And it, 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 I think it says less about him than it just does about how the issue had not been politicized at this point. Like the existence of transgender people had not been politicized to the extent that it is now, Mm -hmm. even though it was much more dangerous to consider transitioning back then. Mm -hmm. Um, It also, there was not the kind of political, um, rancor behind. It's just a fascinating piece of history. Um, and evidence that like Joe Pine again, you could be a right wing firebrand on TV and encounter something you didn't understand and like learn about it on air without it being a like a thing.
5: Yeah. yeah. Now, do you think that's a product of him being like a genuinely curious person? Or, like if I, I want to learn new things etc. Or um, is that more of a product of What you were saying about the issue where it wasn't clear which side of the political spectrum the issue was going to fall on. So he didn't want to go as hard as he normally would had the issue been more
4: firmly settled on one side. I don't know. I've heard people theorize that part of why he was very polite and liked Christine Jorgensen is that she was a veteran like him, and he had just that kind of level sure, of respect yeah. for like, well, whatever else about this person, we fought in the same war together. Mm. I think some of it's also, I think the attitude and like the way people presented themselves, like he was, he was a guy who was raised in a, a specific time where if people present themselves a specific way, you treat them a specific way, right? And I think people who kind of, Like Joe or Krasner, you know, is kind of like a left wing hippie type. Yeah. And so he did not feel the need to be respectful. Christine, uh, like, was presented as like a very kind of like bougie upper middle class white woman. And he treated her with respect as a result. The same was true of some other women he interviewed who he had a disagreement with. So I think some of it may just be that just like there was more of like a. Well, regardless of your feelings, if somebody presents in this way, if they if they match kind of our expectations of upper class white people behavior, Mm -hmm. you treat them with a certain level of respect and regard because that's just how we are Um, Yeah. (laughs) it's 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 a fascinating time (laughs) fascinating time capsule um and that was a i think maybe the longest clip we've ever played on this show but i just i was really surprised when i came across that learning that That this is is the guy who gave mental birth to rush limbaugh and tucker carlson Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah not the interview you would expect. No, now, no, Tom, that was surprising. as a last treat, I have one more thing I want to play for you. Oh, This good. is a segment from Joe's show where he talks with Anton Levey, head of The Search oh, of Satan. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, Tom. You're going to have a good time with this one. <laughs> oh, man. Mm, mm. <laughs> Hold mm-hmm. on, let me, let me get yeah. some popcorn.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, you get Anton LaVey on the TV and you know yeah. you're going to have a good one. <laughs>
2: And how do you make your living? Uh... As uh, a counselor, sorcerer, practicing wizard, shaman, warlock, whatever you wish to call it. You're also a male witch, a warlock. Well, a male witch is considered a warlock, yeah. You're, but you I don't you consider... You claim to be a witch then? Uh, a wish... male witch? Certainly, are... but not a white witch, not like some of these people that have been on... A various shows that bend over backwards trying to convince everyone how good they are. That they never perform black magic, only white magic. I think this is should ridiculous. Could you make that man disappear out of the dock? Out of the dock? Yeah. Why should I want to? I well, could... because we have somebody else coming up. Of course I can't make him disappear because I am naturally cast in the mold of a human being and I think this want is... Want to bet? less human and more Mephistophelian to me. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I call him a devil and compliment <laughs>
4: I, it's just remarkable sure. to me the degree the, the degree to which Anton Lavey looks like Joe Kugan from Command and Conquer. Yeah, um, the guy who played Kane. They're the same. Maybe Kane was Anton Lavey. Yeah. That's my Command and Conquer theory that's gonna be very funny he does seven he people. look he
5: looks like the villain in every fmv computer game <laughs> yeah that's amazing um he's wearing, look a at anton LeVay. he's wearing an amulet he's such a yeah. dummy every time he goes on tv <laughs> it's so funny and he's just like no i can't make that guy disappear <laughs> like all right they only ever do white magic what white magic are they doing what white anton? magic are you
4: doing anton <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah i have to side with joe on this one what are you what kind what, of magic are you, are you up what to kind of
5: magic are you gonna do can you make that guy disappear
4: yeah <laughs> by the late 1960s joe was a very wealthy man he drove drove a rolls royce and when he parked at the studio he was so frightened it would be vandalized that he had his network hire a security guard to watch the car while he was on the air parking in the garage on, man what are you doing yeah exactly what are you doing <laughs> On paper, in many ways, he sounded like the same kind of guy that many right wing media grifters are today. But the things he the thing he had that they all lacked is is a sense of charm. There's a level of class that you get with Joe that just like is com- has is completely absent from everyone who it's, follows.
5: Really. Yeah, it's 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 more the more we hear of him. I had said he sounds like Cronkite earlier, but he really sounds more like like Carson or like a talk show yeah. host where yeah. it's like he can be uh, warm and supportive until he's not. And then he'll yeah. turn on you and kind I, of mm <laughs> Ridicule you, but in a in a polite way.
4: <laughs> I can see how a lot of people who disagreed profoundly with Joe Pine could enjoy listening to his show in a way that, like, I cannot with Tucker Carlson. Or nobody's like nobody like hate watches for enjoyment. Tucker Carlson. It's just too Mm-mm. like horrifying. Like nobody does that with Ben Shapiro or whatever. No, no, no. That's an assignment. Um, that's not something. Yeah, that you is do an assignment. <laughs> that yeah. is that is a that is conflict journalism. Like you are <laughs> taking on pain. I'm looking at Sophie um, nodding. Yeah, yeah but people God, could like just... enjoy. Like I. You enjoy like why you? I, I recommend watching him talk to Anton Levay. It's a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 legitimately fun. Just two shitheads um, talking to each other. <laughs> two real shitheads just talking it up in the sixties. At one talking point, he had magic. A, <laughs> At one point, he had Harlan Ellison on as a guest. Now, Harlan Ellison is quite a fellow. Uh, At the time, he was a Los Angeles free press columnist, and he's now a legendary dead sci-fi author. Uh, The author of I Have No Mouth, But I Must Scream and some other
5: real. The the way you phrased that made it sound
4: like he's legendarily dead. (laughs) He he is. He is. A lot of people. I mean, Harlan Ellison was a famous misanthrope. He made a uh, lot of enemies, yeah. He made a lot of enemies, and politically, he was pretty much the opposite of Joe Pine, although in terms of being unpleasant, they were both very unpleasant people, famously. (laughs) Uh, Harlan Ellison called Joe a hustler and a bully, but noted that he was very sharp. Quote, I thought I'd go on his show and beat him at his own game, but I blew it. I spent my time talking about the issues, civil liberties and all that. And he talked about America. The trouble with Pine was that he was really, really good at what he did. Now, and that that does get to like, yeah, you're, you're never going to win talking about the issues with these guys. That's mm-hmm. not – and you could only get Joe to listen when it wasn't something he saw as an issue. I think that's why, his, why that interview with Jorgensen went the way it did is because – it wasn't a political issue to him it was, a it was just curiosity a thing of interest to him, yeah, yeah he was it just was curious like, yeah you know, this
5: isn't this isn't real this is just yeah. some flighty nonsense you know yeah
4: it, it's i mean it, i don't even think he was treating it like nonsense he was treating it like he was just learning a new science fact uh, yeah, it wasn't it, political it was not a political yeah, issue he definitely
5: yeah. didn't treat it the same way he was treating um the high krasner. times dude krasner yeah. or or yeah. anton yeah. LaVey, but i feel yeah. like he probably considered them in the same bucket of like well this isn't this is like a personal interest story. This isn't yeah, real news. It definitely this in the same. I th-
4: he clearly respected her more than he did any, either of them. But yeah. yes, I think it was the same kind of like, well, this is not a political thing. This is, yeah. this is personal interest. This is just something that people are going to be fascinated by that. I can also like, you can, you can, you can create a kind of like you fantastic title for it. You know, it's something mm-hmm. that'll, that'll get people get eyeballs on the screen. Um, in 1969, Joe started having trouble breathing. He was diagnosed with, with lung cancer. For years, he had jokingly called his cigarettes coffin nails, and you saw him light up at least once in the that's, clips that's the I thing played. he smoked yeah. in all the clips we <laughs> yeah, yeah, watched. He was, he was always smoking. Yeah. Um, they just He had issued repeatedly them to you, promised. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, the, it's your <laughs> government issue cigarettes. <laughs> he had repeatedly promised that he would never give up smoking, but he quit after getting his diagnosis. It didn't help. When he got too sick to drive to the studio, he hosted his show from his home, making him a trailblazer in yet another way. Wow. The, yeah, he was the first, uh, first was the one first Show we're Rogan. doing, Tom.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what we're doing. Yeah.
4: At the very end of his life, he lay in his bed, ranting about the Peace Corps because they wanted to end the war in Vietnam. <laughs> he died in 1970 at age 45 thank you comrade cigarettes (laughs) wow yeah 45 that dude was 45 that dude was mainlining cigarettes his entire adult life from the time he was 14
5: he was probably smoking six packs a day i want the listeners to understand that this (laughs) motherfucker looks like in these clips we watch he looks like he's at least 68
4: yeah like he looks so old i mean in fairness some of that's world war ii <laughs> i know yeah, yeah. And
5: like, i mean it's, it's like a joke on the internet where it's like yeah. man people who were like 38 in in 1975 looks look like, like
4: they like were on death's door <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um but like Oh wow. yeah he yeah. Looks, yeah yeah no 45 yeah dude looks um, like brendan gleeson now yeah younger than <laughs> oh what's the guy uh, the funny man all the ladies like him he's the ant man his fucking name. The Ant-Man. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Paul Paul Rudd's older than Joe Pine died at now. Right.
5: Paul Rudd is older (laughs) than Joe Pine ever was. (laughs) And looks half his age. And when
4: Paul Rudd is 70, he won't look as old as Joe Pine looked at This dude looks older than Shatner. (laughs) Um, The Smithsonian Magazine lays out how directly his influence led to the creation of some of the most influential careers in modern right-wing media. Quote, one of Pine's protégés, the controversial radio shouter Bob Grant, followed his mentor Pine as a talk show shouter in Los Angeles before moving to New York, where Grant paved the way for his successor at WABC, Sean Hannity. Oh, boy. Hannity had first gained national attention subbing for Rush Limbaugh, another Bob Grant fan. When Grant died in 2013, Hannity hailed him as one of the greatest pioneers of controversial opinionated talk radio. Grant, in turn, had acknowledged his debt to the founder of In Your Face Talk. Even Vice President Mike Pence, who hosted a right-wing talk show in Indiana in the 1990s, <laughs> sure was did. a successor of Pine's. According to Harlan Ellison, who admired Pine's shrewdness while loathing his politics, I've appeared on that sort of show all over the country. They call it controversy, but they're all about vilification and hostility, and their motto is Pine. Model is pine. Mm. And Pine is, again, an odd figure for me, because when I first started reading this kind of stuff about him, calling him a bully, I expected a different kind of bully than the videos reveal. He's absolutely a bully, but he's yeah. subtler than the ones we see today. I found a column in the Saturday Evening Post from the 1960s where a left-wing reviewer tries to explain his appreciation for The Joe Pine Show. Quote, After watching one of these shows, and it does not matter whether I loathed the guest, the host, or both, I feel somehow drained and less misanthropic. Not long ago, for example, I had a terrible day. I had a migraine, and my daughter sliced her finger with a razor blade, and I got a rejection slip, and a cop gave me a speeding ticket, my third this year, which means that I will probably lose my license, and in Los Angeles, that is like being a functional paraplegic. That night I watched Joe Pine. His guests included a lady who complained that television sportscasters never carried drag racing results, a man who blamed the current racial unrest on Franklin Delano Roosevelt and a veteran who said we ought to drop the big bomb on Vietnam. The vet said he did not fight World War II to throw this one away. It turned out that he had been a Navy mailman. I was outside the zoo looking in again. Life did not seem so bad after all. I went to bed and slept well.
5: I, that what's going on in that guy's life, though? <laughs> yeah, like he's—he's he's he's lost some... his license. His daughter cut yeah, her finger open with a razor problem, blade, man. What the Yeah, fuck? Where, was she where,
2: doing, where, where man? did she get
4: access to razor blades? I'm not gonna. What are you Look, her razor gonna... blades
5: for? <laughs> it was a different time, Tom. I'm this, sure he was giving yeah, her cigarettes I feel like too. This, this guy's Calm life. Calm her down. Was this guy's life was already uh shaky uh yeah. before the Joe Pine show came into the
4: picture but yeah you could like uh, yeah, yeah the the appreciation you could have for Joe Pine if you weren't in the cult is mm-hmm. part of what makes him different from what came later and in part two, Tom, we're going to talk about what came later. But for right now, we need to talk about the shit you've got to plug.
5: Oh, geez. All right. Well, um, yeah, if you uh, – I've got a Patreon. Uh, if you head over to patreon.com slash gamefieldunemployed, you can uh, find our podcast networks, me and David Bell, um, f- also from Cracked. Uh, we do a bunch of shows every week. We do uh, – we just watch Hypecast. We do uh, – Fox Mulder is a Maniac, uh, Tom and Jeff watch Batman, uh, Star Trek The Next Futurama, a bunch of great shows you can check out there. Um, I also uh, do writing over at Collider, um, and for some more news, uh, and for one 900 dog. so you can look mm-hmm. at all of
4: those things. Check it out. Yeah. All right. And uh, you can, you know, uh, you can go to hell. That's right. Mm-hmm. Go to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of when you Get, when you get you there. To, <laughs> <laughs> when you get to hell, tell Joe Pine that Robert d- sent you. T- yeah, tell Joe Pine Robert sent you. Oh, man.
1: I feel and then like, kick I feel, him in
4: the nuts and scream the name Rush Limbaugh. He won't know what you're di- saying. <laughs> he, he died decades before that man was relevant.
0: I, I feel like in hell, they just make you listen to clips of everything that's on this episode on repeat we haven't even gotten to the bad shit yet wait for part two yo trinity school of natural health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education that empowers communities trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the
1: drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun.